World's Finest Podcast, episode 56. James Doe, and with me as always is Michael David Sims. Hello. How goes it? Good enough? Today today I'm actually good. I'm, I'm, I'm better than yeah. good enough. I'll go for good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Really nothing going on on my end. I've just been goofing off all the time when I'm not at work, so. Uh-oh. I've been, play- been playing a lot of uh, Pokemon Platinum on my uh-huh. DS. That's, you know, it seems to me like every couple years or so I get back into the... Uh, the fucking Pokemon games. They're just, mm-hmm. they're so fucking addictive. I can't, yeah. I can't really describe it. I, I'm right there with you. You know, after I moved, you know, and I unpacked all my video games, you know, I pulled out just, just Pokemon game after Pokemon game after Pokemon game. I forgot I had pretty much every Pokemon game for the GBA. And, uh, I was like, I want to get back into these. And as, you know, I, I, as soon as I find some time, I'm gonna because you're right. They're they're fun and just absolutely addictive. And the weird thing is, they don't really change. If you yeah. really think about it, I mean, yeah, they add little things here and there, and you get new Pokemon, but the games are essentially the same. But I just love playing one after another. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why I like Platinum so much because it is a big change. There's a lot of changes between that one and the the last two, whatever okay. it was Diamond and Pearl or something. Mm. Okay, so. I should write a review of it. I really should, but I haven't. I haven't written anything in a long time. I need to get onto that. Yeah, you get off your butt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been working on music videos, so there. <laughs> I'm actually actually that reminds me. I am gonna start a, a uh, DC AU uh, themed music video at some point here. Oh, that's cool. To, to a song by a band you may have heard of called Rush. Uh... I know. I love Rush. I don't care. <laughs> Rush? No. <laughs> no. 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 All right. What's your... Dude, seriously. What's your problem with Rush? Come on, man. I don't know. I just don't like Rush. It's that plain and simple. It's not because they're Canadian, is it? No, no. I, I love Canadians. I, I love I love <laughs> Canadians. No, I just, I just don't get them. I don't think they're that good. And they kind of grate on my nerves, if you want the truth. Okay. Fair enough. Let's get into some emails. Okay, first one is from Tim, who writes, Hi, Mike and James. I agree with you guys as far as Grayson and Drake go, and I have all the current Batman and Robin Reborn comics. However, Damien is not a little prick. He is a little bastard. Technically, you can't call me on that, because at the time of his birth, Bruce and Talia, who in the past my fellow WFP fans refer to as the bitch, <laughs> were not in wedlock. They were briefly, but Raisha nulled them after Talia faked a miscarriage. Anywho's, I have despised Damon since his first appearance. However, it seems you guys are right in that he is evolving for the better, and in the first issue of Batman and Robin, I am now as big a fan of uh, for him as I was for Drake. It is very interesting to see him after the quote-unquote death of his father. He just got to know. When I first was introduced to Damien, I thought he was a badass who was just selfish to be Robin and to and be his father's side, but now it shows he didn't hate Drake and Grayson. He was jealous of the love and respect his father gave him. In the issue, Damien tells Batman 
quote-unquote, he's beginning to earn his respect, and Grayson is now having to take him under his wing. I also love, 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 loved the exchange between uh, Damien and Alfred, and when Alfred said Master Bruce always did respect him and would now be more proud than ever. When it close, uh, closes up on Damien, he's holding back tears while working on the new flying Batmobile, saying, Thank you, Pennyworth. And during a dispute with Dick, don't even go there, he says, I made a promise I will not let down my father's legacy. All in all, Damien now has my respect as well, but I still didn't really like him. And now I think he, too, is finally interesting, as he now has to finally make a choice. And he's taking the Punisher-esque way of doing that. When this email came in, I uh, I went back and I you know, took a look at Batman and Robin number one and specifically the scene that he was talking about there. And I don't think Damien's holding back tears. I just think he's, uh, very intensely focused on, uh, the repairs he's making on the Batmobile. I I don't see any tears at all in his eyes. He's just sort of squinting at whatever parts he's looking at. So I have to, I have to disagree with that. Haven't read any of it. I have no idea what you guys are talking about. So, (laughs) Let's go to the next email. Next one is from our forum friend, the other George W., who writes, Dear WFP podcasters, uh, as we are nearing the end of the DCA future universe, curiosity got the best of me, and I figured I would email in again with some questions. Number one, do you prefer to review an episode or even a series that is just bad, such as the Terrible Trio or just meh, like Eye of the Storm? While the answer first might seem at first seem obvious, knowing that your co-host might be inspired to a classic Venom-filled rant could be considered a light at the end of the tunnel, dim as it may be. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I prefer to review bad stuff. It's fun. I mean, it could be fun. It's just doing it a lot in one episode is just painful. Yeah, it gets really tiring to just like rant and bitch and complain. Um, you know, and when it comes to stuff that's just meh, as 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 it was put, meh. <laughs> I see you know what, what you did there. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I th- okay. I think I would rather review things that are bad than are just sort of average and meh. Uh, just because we can go on a bit longer, we can rant, we can have some fun. But as I said before, it just it does just get tiring. But I do think the listeners enjoy rants. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I believe they do, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in large quantities, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Um, and number two in the email, Mike, in the email from episode 55, you mentioned that Batman's universe being open to different artistic interpretations is a good thing, specifically in relation uh, to the Brave and the Bold. While I do agree in principle, how is a Bat fan who proclaims that this isn't my Batman any different from a host of a podcast whose head bounces off desks with with concussive force whenever someone mentions something as innocuous as the Joker killed Batman's parents? Here's on a fantastic run so far, and may these final episodes of Zeta treat you well. P.S. Forgive the British tones of the above email. I'm listening to For Your Ears Only as I type this, and it just seeps in. Uh, um, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I think it's called owned. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when this email came in, I don't know, a week or so back, um, I, I, you know, I, I gave it a quick read, and uh, I just sat there. And I stared at the screen for a good 10, 15 seconds, and then I just started laughing. Because, um, yeah, yeah, that's quite true, what was said there. Um, (laughs) It doesn't mean you can't bash your head on the desk, though. Oh, yeah, well, for my own health and safety, I shouldn't. Um, 
you know, to my defense, you know, I'm, I'm a fanboy. And when I said that, you know, the uh, Brave and the Bold episode with Batmite was taking the piss out of fanboys, I was including myself in that. But yes, thank you for um, putting me in my place. <laughs> <laughs> that has to happen every once in a while. Okay, next one is from Kevin who writes, uh, I'm currently listening to episode 34 of your podcast, and I was thinking, of how you said that all the kryptonite seemed to turn up in Metropolis. When you said that, it reminded me of a plot hole from World's Finest, the Batman Superman movie. In the movie, Bruce said that the kryptonite sculpture that the Joker had been using or was using had been passed down from generation to generation, making everybody who used it sick. I thought this was strange, considering that all the world's kryptonite arrived with Superman. And since Superman is relatively new to Earth, say 20 years or so, how could the Jade Dragon be several generations old? In closing, keep up the good work, and it pains me to find a plot hole in such a great movie. That's kind of a good point, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really have no way to rebut, rebut that at all. <laughs> he's, he's got a great point. Yeah, I mean, I'd say Superman's been on Earth about 30 years. I, I do believe Clark in the DCAU is supposed to be about 30-ish. Um, so let's say the Kryptonite's been on Earth for 30 years as well. You could maybe claim that was two generations, um, but still, that, that doesn't sound like the generations that uh, was referred to in the cartoon. I mean, they make it sound like it's been like five or six, you know, like a very long, long time. Next one's from Daniel, who writes, Hey guys, love the podcast. I remember way back in the beginning when you were still on BTAS, you were always saying how Alfred was a father figure to Bruce. And in the recent events of Bruce Wayne's death, Superman and Wonder Woman are breaking the news to Robin, Nightwing, and our favorite butler. And Superman asks Alfred if he's all right, and Alfred says, Am I all right? No, sir, I am not all right. My son has just died. Just pointing out you guys were completely right about the Alfred being Bruce's father business, even though some people disagree. But keep up the good work, your fan, Daniel. Well, you, sir. yeah, I don't think we're supposed to take that line literally. I, I do think he's just saying my son has died in the same way Bruce would say my father has died if Alfred had passed away. And he just means it as, you know, I raised this boy, I see him as my son. You know, where Bruce would say it, I see this guy as my father. And actually, Daniel sent one follow-up email here saying, and Mike's going to love this. Uh, guys, I remember Mike saying that he thought The Brave and the Bold was the best Bat cartoon yet. I watched a few episodes and thought, holy shit, how does Mike like this crap? I just want to hear the reason you like it so much. Because it's awesome. The end. That was really scary. <laughs> <laughs> I did not expect that at all. And that was very, very perturbing <laughs> no i mean it's it's funny i think it has great action i love the way it blends the silver age with the modern age of comics i i love the team-ups just all around i mean and the best part is is it doesn't take itself too seriously you know it knows what it is it, it knows what it's trying to be and that's a cartoon that young kids can enjoy, but also a cartoon that longtime fanboys can enjoy. And that's a hard thing to to blend. And I think they're pulling that off perfectly. Um, yeah, it's, it's just a brilliant, brilliant cartoon. What's going on? Agent Bennett is here to bring in the robot, Mr. McCurdy, and we are going to get the exclusive. You can't. He saved all those people. Zeta saved himself. He's remarkably good at that. I know you're trying to protect your sister. My only goal is to bring Zeta in before he hurts anyone else, including Rosalie. 
If you help me do that, the charges against her will be dropped and you can take her home. Isn't that better than her going to prison? What do I have to do? And first of the last five episodes of the Zeta Project is Yay! On... Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> is on the wire. Now, as we've seen so many episodes in the past, uh, Ro and Zeta are being chased by someone to start the episode, this time the police. Uh, they end up escaping uh, into basically their uh, era's version of a comic book convention where they elude uh, Agents West and Rush. And Bucky gives Ro a call as he has apparently located Ro's long-lost brother, Casey. Uh, he works as, I guess, a low-level reporter for a news station. Uh, and the head of the news studio listens in on a call between Rowan Ro and Casey and plans to use this as a way to get the, like a super hot story on the capture of Rowan Zeta, these two you know, most wanted fugitives. Um, and he promises Casey a producer's position if he manages to get this story on the network. Uh, so Casey and Ro meet up at a cafe in San Francisco where Casey reveals that her nickname was Bulldozer, uh, given to her by her grandfather, because whenever she saw something she wanted, she would just plow through anything in her way to get it. And the NSA, thanks to Casey's boss, tracks them to the cafe and a trolley car where they end up confronting, uh, Casey, Ro, and Zeta. Well, they manage to escape, uh, but Casey says that, or they tell Casey that they'll be in touch, uh, Back at the new studio, Casey's douchebag boss and Agent Blowhard convince Casey to uh, lure Ro and Zeta uh, to the Golden Gate Bridge. And they go to meet Casey, and he appears with his boss in the news chopper, followed by police and NSA agents surrounding the bridge. Now, Ro, of course, is appalled that Casey could do this, but uh, after a ton of stalling, Casey convinces Ro to get into the chopper to save herself. And Zeta makes a break for it onto the suspension cables of the bridge with Bennett somehow following behind uh, and Casey re Casey reveals at this point that this was all a ruse uh, to, uh, he was fooling the NSA and his boss all along and he, what he does is he starts flying the news chopper uh, into the path of the NSA agents so they can't you know shoot Zeta down or uh, trap him or anything And but eventually the chopper I think ends up getting uh, blasted by one of the NSA's weapons anyway or it ends up hitting the bridge or something but whatever happens it starts going down into the uh, into the sea, and uh, Zeta leaps down after it and manages to save them, but the NSA can't see them through all the dense fog. So Bennett tells Casey later that he'll be watching him from now on. And Casey ends up sending Roe a message through a phony classified ad for a little bulldozer, and he promises that he'll remain in touch with them through these means for the time being. Thoughts? Um, yeah, you know... Below average, I felt. Um, I really couldn't get past the bad animation in this one. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just bad. And I did not like the design of Casey, either. Um, his goatee just looked really weird. Did you pick up on that? I wasn't particularly bothered by it or anything. Well, it but... was, like, really low. What they did was, like, the goatee... There was, like, no space between the bottom of the mustache and the, 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 the his upper lip. It's like the mustache was his upper lip. And just oh, the way it sat on his face just really perturbed me. And I could not get past it at all. <laughs> I hated it. Um, yeah, and just, just all around, the, the animation here was just bad. Uh, 
The story itself wasn't terrible. I mean, the whole idea that, you know, Bucky helps Roe find this brother, and the brother has to decide between his career and family, and, you know, ultimately he sacrifices his job for his sister, and they lose each other, but they still find a way to stay in touch. You know, that, that that's kind of neat. But, I don't know, again, the animation wasn't doing it for me, really dragged it down, and the, uh, what do you call it, I, I don't think they pulled off what they were going for all that well either. What about you? Well, I agree to a point with you, because I never really felt like Casey was ever really, truly mulling over sacrificing Roe for his career. At no point did I ever think he was ever going to do that, so right. if they were going for some kind of deep internal struggle it wasn't pulled off at all um i agree the animation was was really bad uh very clunky um but i gotta say i mean agent bennett can be added to the list of characters that i just absolutely cannot stand uh this guy this guy seriously is as willingly blind to the obvious as agent west is useless i mean he said he says in, uh and i may be paraphrasing here that zeta is only great at saving himself Right, and your son, you fucking twit. <laughs> it's like, Jesus Christ, dude, just fucking open your goddamn eyes. So, yeah, I was I was really hoping that that ship and Zeta hadn't disappeared into the fog. You know, I was really hoping Bennett would see that Zeta was saving them and was not trying to escape. Uh, but they did it the way they always do it, you know, where Bennett doesn't see what's really going on because of this, that, and the other, and he's still able to believe whatever he wants to believe about Zeta, you know, and that that really got on my nerves, too. At this point, while watching the episode, I obviously I knew this was going to be the last we were ever going to see of Casey, mm -hmm. since we only, have four, we only had four episodes left after this, but, I mean, I thought it was a decent send-off, at least. They, they, they did have a connection. It was a believable connection, I think, so... I think they did that pretty well. But. Yeah, you know, I would have liked, I don't know, I mean, I liked what they were doing with Casey there, because he remembers Roe. You know, he's a little older, he remembers the, you know, their past, he remembers their grandparents, uh, he even remembers them enough to recall that the grandmother passed away, uh, which they say without saying. You know, but with Roe, I don't know. I didn't feel that sense of discovery that I think, I've never been in this situation, but that I think a runaway slash foster child would feel as she was connecting with, you know, her long lost brother. I don't know. It just, from Roe's end, it didn't ring true for me. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm asking for too much from a child's cartoon, and I admit that. I don't know what else really to say about this episode, truthfully. Okay. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm so far from done with this one. Um, during the final chase scene, I thought that was one big clusterfuck. Just with Zeta running on the, on the bridge and Bennett trying to chase him and the ships flying around, it was staged so awkwardly. You know, and the way it was edited with, you know, cutting back and forth between Zeta and Bennett and the distance between them kept changing. And I got to say something here. I'm going to jump ahead. So Bennett can keep up with this this super synthoid in the form of Zeta to the point where I don't remember if he actually does catch him, but he almost does several times. But he can't keep up with some fat slob 
in an episode we're going to talk about later. Really? Okay. Nice consistency there. But getting back to this one, yeah, just the way it would cut between Bennett and Zeta and then the various choppers, you know, that including West and uh, who's the new female agent that replaced Lee? Rush. Rush, yeah. And then it would cut between them and all this and that. Yeah, it just, it just didn't flow right. It felt very off the way that was all put together. My big problem with that whole scene is mm-hmm. just the fact that Agent Bennett is able to stand on that suspension cable. Yeah, all. there's there's no way. There's no way. I mean, Zeta, even yeah. Zeta, they show, has to like have like little clamps come out of his feet to stab into that, uh, that, that wire there. But Bennett's just running along like there's no problem. Yeah, yeah no, no. Um, and, and there were some other issues I have to take with this one. Like, there's there's a scene where Zeta and Ro, they're heading up to the observation deck where they're, you know, they're heading into a trap. And uh, Ro looks down into the bay, and she's like, did I ever mention my paralyzing fear of heights? Then there's, like, this long pause, very long pause. They get in the elevator, and Zeta's like, no, you didn't. And it's like, why was there like a 10 second pause between the question and the answer? I don't know. Maybe, it, maybe Zeta mean, was processing it. Yeah. I don't know. It was I, like going through everything they've ever said. <laughs> it wasn't quite 10 seconds, but it's this really long uh, space, this really long gap where, you know, normally, you know, you, you'd answer a question right away if you can. You don't sit there and wait. Um, so, yeah, just all these little things just came together to make me just kind of go. Yeah, this one, a little below average for me. Um, and that also includes the fact that Bucky was able to find Casey, but the NSA couldn't. You know, I, I'm not keen on the fact that, uh, you know, the NSA didn't think about using Rose family to get to Zeta. Well, the NSA has been shown in the past to be completely clueless, so... No, that's true. That is true, and I will give you that. But I don't know. I don't know. It just it just kind of. I just didn't like it. I I mean I think the episode would have been stronger if it started out with the NSA approaching Casey, and they basically set him up, blackmailed him, where he had to do this, um, instead of the way they did it, where Bucky's all like, "Hey, I found your brother. Go find him in San Francisco." Yay! Yeah, I wasn't liking that. Um, and I also find it odd that in an episode with Bucky, I'm not complaining about Bucky and we get Bucky at least one more time. Don't we? Maybe two more times before we're done with this episode here. And I'm not really going to complain about Bucky there either. Um, I don't know if that means they've toned him down or if he's growing on me or what, but I find that rather unsettling. (laughs) (laughs) I think the last negative thing I want to say about this one is there was this really weird line where Casey was yelling at his his boss, his editor, his producer, whatever, and he's like, the boss says something like, I forget what the boss says, but Casey turns around and he says, the news is not yours, it's the people's. What? What? Where, where did this come from? You know, it, it was never shown that the producer was manipulating the news or censoring or any of that. He was just trying to get some high-profile story. That's all. And Casey turns around and he just has this asinine statement out of nowhere. What? <laughs> Things change. <laughs> and 
nice, nice. Um, I think the last two things I want to say is, uh, one is in the beginning when they're, uh, what do you call it? They're, they're going to that comic book convention. There's a reference to, uh, what was it? An owl man, was it? Or the owl? I don't remember the guy, but I know who the, the other one was. Squirrel girl? Yep. <laughs> That's a Marvel character. Yep, it is. And not a new one. That's She's been around since at least the 80s, I want to say, and was a member of the Great Lakes Avengers. I mean, she's a joke character, you know, but she's still a character that Marvel owns the copyright on nonetheless. And, like, when I saw this this character who looked like a squirrel running around, I'm like, oh, it's, it's going to be funny if they call her Squirrel Girl. And then they called her Squirrel Girl. And I was like, how did Warner Brothers not get sued for this? But uh, we got the last thing I want to say is this episode had a really good line at the end. Because um, there's that scene nearing the end where Casey gets really rude with Roe. And I'm like, why is he acting like a douchebag all of a sudden? And, of course, it's part of the ruse. Um, but then Roe says, he knew he was going to help us, so why would he be so rude? And Zeta looks at her, and he's like, family trait? <laughs> <laughs> yep. I, I just love when Zeta gets those little zingers in on Roe. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't even realize that he's making a quip, either. No. <laughs> it's just his... His natural reaction, being a robot. That's what makes it so great, is because he doesn't realize yeah. what he's saying, and she just looks at him, and she's just like, <laughs> I didn't do this. Bucky's image just appeared. I was afraid you were going to say that. Hi, guys. If you're watching this, then I'm in serious trouble. I set this up as a sort of emergency signal, just in case. I implanted it once when I was checking out your holographic emitter. Sorry. But it was the only way that came to mind. Not, for instance, honesty. Worm. Right about now, I'm guessing Rose calling me a worm. Worm twip. And now she's calling me a maggot. Ha ha ha. Anyway, I need your help. I keep a homing beacon sewn into the waist of my pants so you'll be able to find me. You can track it on 880 megahertz. I don't know what's happened, but I promise I wouldn't have signaled if it wasn't bad. You know this is probably a scam. And no, Ro. This isn't a scam. Ah! Ro, he did help you find your brother. Enough. Didn't we talk about fighting dirty? Fine, we'll help him. Next up is cabin pressure. In this one, the NSA is finally able to track down who has been assisting Ro and Zeta. And that, of course, is Bucky. So they um, arrest him and they bring him aboard this just massive airship. Um, but before Bucky can be apprehended, he presses a button on uh, or near his computer. And what that does is he has like a, a, a homing device in he, that he sto- uh, sews into the, the, what do you call it, the waist of his pants. And uh, it, it triggers something in Zeta. Uh, letting Zeta and Ro know that he, Bucky, has been kidnapped. And he says, look, you know, you know, I, I know that I would not do this, that I would not ask this of you if this weren't really bad. Um, he's like, this is a pre-recorded message, so I don't know what's happening to me, but trust me, this is really, really bad. So uh, Ro just is like, let him, let him stew. Big deal. What are they going to do? Throw him in juvie? Big deal. Um, but Zeta's like, don't forget, he's helped me and he helped you find your brother. So we owe him big time. And Rose like, damn it, damn it, damn it, damn it. She doesn't want to help this kid, but Zeta's got a point. So uh, 
Zeta and Ro, they end up uh, infiltrating that airship that I spoke of a second ago. And uh, as they're on there, you know, they're they're running around looking for Bucky. Uh, But while that's going on, the NSA, they've confiscated all of Bucky's equipment, including the remote control that can take control of Zeta. Uh, And Zeta had actually mentioned this earlier. He goes, if the NSA finds that... Uh, I'm in big, big trouble. So that was another reason they wanted to get on board, not just save Bucky, but to get that device back. Well, um, the NSA does find that device, and they are able to get control of Zeta. And uh, as they've got control of him, he's he's walking along, and he's actually ahead of the group, and he passes this one corridor, and Agent West, uh, who was roaming around and who was showed up by Bucky earlier in the episode and is trying to prove that he's not a complete incompetent asshole um ends up pulling out his his laser gun and he shoots at zeta completely misses him uh breaches the hull zeta goes flying out as does the remote control that bennett was holding um so we don't know if zeta's alive or dead uh at least for uh, all of 30 seconds uh the the breach is sealed with some sort of force field and uh bennett looks outside of it and he sees zeta clinging to the skin of the ship of course he's got control of himself again and uh, uh, Bennett and Rush, they go outside uh, the ship while it's flying. They put on these suits or whatever, just some gear to, to try to apprehend him. And uh, while that's going on, Bucky and Roe, they're able to escape in some sort of like pod. And uh, they fly back around to, to get Zeta. And once they have him, they're, they're flying towards the city. And uh, uh, Bennett gets back in the bigger ship, and he tells the, the one of the pilots, he's like, send an EM pulse at the ship, but don't hit the ship, just send it across their bow as, as a warning message. Uh, but the, the EM pulse actually does hit the ship. It starts to go down, but Zeta is able to uh, reinitialize the ship, and Bucky's able to take control of it again, and they're able to maneuver in the city through the buildings because the pod is so small, where the NSA ship is so large, it can't get into the city. It just has to fly overhead. So uh, Bucky, Roe, and Zeta, they're uh, able to land the ship. They hide in the subway, and uh, Bucky pretty much says goodbye to the group and thank you. And uh, uh, Roe is like, well, how do, we, how do we find you if we need your help? And then she realizes what she just said, and she's like, uh, uh, not that we need it. And he's like, don't worry, I'll find you. And he gets on his train, and he leaves. And that is the end of Bucky, right? Yep. Or do we, we don't get him one more time? Nope, that's it. Yeah, that's it for Bucky. So what were you thinking? Kind of showing my hand here, but this is now my favorite Zeta Project episode. Oh, okay, how come? I I just, I thoroughly enjoyed almost every moment of this episode. Hmm. Bucky, Bucky absolutely fucking ruled. I yeah. can't, I can't believe I'm saying this, but he did. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it, it took them long enough, but they finally got me to like the little worm. <laughs> <laughs> he has a line that made me absolutely crack up laughing. What was that? When Bennett is grilling him, like, you know, who are you working for and all this other shit? He's like, okay, you got me. I'm a member of the Gizmo Shack Discount Club. <laughs> I get 10% off every purchase. <laughs> yeah. I, I had to pause, pause my DVD because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> that was priceless. Yeah, but, I mean, ge- generally, just overall... Bucky was really, really fun in this episode, mm-hmm. and kudos to them for finally getting him right. <laughs> yeah, um, normally I'm not keen on the super cocky preteen or even teenage character that takes it to the adults, 
but it kind of works with Bucky. You know, Bucky knows that he's smarter than everybody else. You know, he's not scared of the situation he's in, mostly because he knows Zeta and Roe are coming for him. Um, and I don't know, I just, I just liked his attitude throughout. Um, and uh, I liked the psychology he used on West. You know, he's sitting there and he realizes West is the youngest of the group, because at that point it was West, Rush, and Bennett, if I remember correctly. And he just happens to mention a video game, and West is all like, oh, yeah, oh, wait. Because I think they brought up Centuries of the Last Command, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and, Centuries of the Cosmos. Oh, the Cosmos, that's it, yeah. And, uh, you know, West takes the bait, and of course Bucky's able to use that later to get into West's head and play video games on the ship's computers or whatever. That was a little weird. But, uh, yeah, I just, I just liked Bucky actually using a bit of psychology on West to see if West would take that bait. And like I said, he did. It was good. It was good. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have to ask, I'm not really counting off for this, these kind of things, but it's just questions I have. Did Bennett really have to make Zeta walk like a goddamn zombie? Thank you. I literally just looked at that in my notes. I did not understand why Zeta had his arms stretched out like, you know, I, what was that about? <laughs> Um, I'm trying Processors. to <laughs> When Bucky took control of Zeta all those episodes back, did Zeta walk like that? At first, uh, at first, when he was taking control of. Maybe, but I think Bucky was making it kind of just like jerk around violently. Like a limb would pop out here and a limb oh. would pop out there. I don't think it was like, err, lurch, err. And then the other one is, um, so these these agents are on this aircraft going at subsonic speed and they go outside of it without protective eye gear on. Seriously. They're <laughs> going to, they're going to be blind <laughs> by I, stepping up there. Well, the weather, weather wizard does have his goggles. Uh, rush. I can't speak of though, but, uh, yeah, he does tell them to slow the ship down and to bring it to, you know, to breathable airspace, but you're right. No matter how fast they're going or more accurately, how slow they're going up there, they, you're right. They still need eyewear. Um, this episode definitely had better animation uh, compared to the last one. And it actually, in my opinion, kind of begins a trend for these last few episodes. Um, from this point forward, I don't think I have a problem with the animation as a whole. Um, I think they uh, kind of pulled out their, we'll say, A minus B plus game <laughs> for for this, this last batch. And like I said, it, it definitely starts here. Um, Though there is something I want to bring up, and this isn't about this episode specifically. It's about all the episodes so far, and some of the episodes we're going to be talking about in a little bit. And that's that wire that comes out of Zeta's hand. And I'm kind of getting tired of that. And it reminds me a lot of the Dr. Sonic Screwdriver. The Doctor from Doctor Who, of course. Where it's just a magic wand that can do anything. Oh, you need a door unlocked. Here you go, the wire or the sonic screwdriver. You need to get into a computer, the wire or the sonic screwdriver. You need to reboot something, the wire or a sonic screwdriver. And I don't like... Okay, using something like that once in a while is okay, but using it all the time, it just becomes a cheap way out, in my opinion. Oh, and I, I have to point out that, of course, there was another dirty sock next to yeah. Bucky's computer, and West even picks this one up. He's like, ew. <laughs> Because Wes knows what's going on with that sock. <laughs> See, 
I had thought I was thinking about that when it was sitting on the back of his chair, but then I'm thinking to myself, okay, why would Bucky leave that on the back of his chair? <laughs> I'm thinking it's probably just a dirty sock from sweat and not another human fluid. <laughs> Reuse, man. Reuse. Look at that. Helpless without your machines, aren't you? Uh, yeah. Can't wait that long for backup. They'll be gone. You're all slaves to the machines. Technology has stolen the very soul of humanity. Now I know what all this is about. You're a no-tech. No-tech? They don't believe in modern technology. I'd say you have me at a disadvantage, Mr... Agent James Bennett, National Security Agency. National Security? All this hardware is to uh, keep the nation secure? This and much more. Uh-huh. We just use logs. Seem to work okay. We're pursuing a pair of dangerous fugitives, and they've crossed into your territory. I'd like to send a handful of agents to do a quick sweep. You know so much about me, you must also know that this valley was granted to the no-tech families by law. Unless you have a warrant, I'm going to ask you to leave the way you came. These fugitives aren't what they seem. Believe me, you don't know what you're dealing with. Yeah, one of them's a ro uh, Rowan, member of a particularly vicious gang. That all may be, but they seek refuge and that's good enough. When you get your vehicle fixed, you just turn it around and have a nice day. And next up is The River Rising. In this one, Ro and Zeta escape an NSA ship driven by Agent West, of all people, um, into the encampment of really what can only be described as the Amish of the future. But here they're called no-techs. They shun all technology, emphatically. And uh, Bennett tries to get into their little society to apprehend Zeta and Ro, uh, but the head of the society tells them not in so many words to piss off until they get a warrant. Um, but inside one of the houses, uh, Ro and Zeta are introduced to a young girl. I forget her name. I'm, I don't remember what her name was, but uh, she's the daughter of, I guess, the governor of this little encampment, I guess, for lack of a better word. And she sees Zeta turn into his true form. But, you know, rather than alert everyone, she's actually ecstatic to see technology. She, you know, she's the exact opposite of her father. She, she, wa she wants to see technology, and she's just amazed by Zeta. Uh, and Rowan Zeta end up working for these people, helping build a levee and cook food and stuff like that. And uh, Zeta, in his you know young kid disguise, tells this leader guy um, in scientific terms that the levee they're working on building uh, is going to burst uh, very soon. Uh, but the guy is going to hear none of it because you know he despises science. So uh, at this point, Bennett goes to the nearest courthouse to get his warrant, while Agent West directly disobeys Bennett's orders to stay away from the encampment. Uh, by getting into a hovercraft thing and flying directly over it. Well, uh, the people in the encampment uh, they use a catapult or a trebuchet or, or something to uh, launch all kinds of boulders and stuff at West, and um, Bennett overhears this on his communicator uh, with Rush and convinces the judge to hastily give him the warrant, and West's out-of-control hover chair thing ends up uh, scraping into the levee, causing a bunch of rocks to topple on top of Zeta, whose hologram disguise is now compromised. And the leader guy is naturally pissed off to see that technology has infiltrated his society. And so he has Zeta bound to a stake uh, set to be crushed by the exact same boulder that just fell on him. And 
uh, his daughter tries to stop him and reason with him, but the guy completely ignores her. Um, but before he can give the signal, the levee breaks, causing the river to flow into the camp and destroy everything in its path. Zeta frees himself once the river washes him away, and he helps save the man and his daughter from being uh, washed away by the raging river. Uh, the NSA sh- ship uh, ends up, I, I can't remember how it goes down, but I think it ends up getting caught in the storm. or A wave comes up and just swallows right. it. Right, and it ends up getting stuck in the mud uh, at the end of the episode, and the villagers uh, kind of covertly sabotage it while making the appearance that they're helping him. One of the one of the uh, uh, people actually starts throwing mud into their uh, turbines or jet fusion thing or whatever it is, and West can't get the thing to start, of course. So that's kind of funny, um, but. The leader guy talks to Zeta and kind of sort of thanks him for saving their lives, but, you know, he doesn't really know really what to make of Zeta, and that's pretty much where it ends. Yeah, you know, this one was... It's not bad. Um, I think it was in the last episode. I forget which episode we were speaking of, but I think I remember saying there was one that I could kind of leave on as background noise while doing the laundry. Mm -hmm. This is another one that's like that. You know, I'd be too lazy to grab the remote and change the TV if it was on. That kind of thing. I, I didn't hate it. I didn't particularly enjoy it. It's just kind of there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I did like the leader of the uh, not-Amish people. He's a pretty strong character, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, at least he had a, de- a definitive character, and he wasn't, uh, uh, he wasn't, you know, a cliche or anything, I don't think. Because, you know, we haven't seen a character really like this. Um, I mean... It, because this is obviously this is like what twenty fifty or something, and we haven't seen any any person in this in this Zeta Batman Beyond world uh, shun technology. So it was right. it was at least at least unique, if nothing else. So. Right. I mean, um, he he kind of got a little over the top during his spiel at the end. Technology is stealing men's souls, and now they've created a man without a soul. That was uh, yeah a bit much, a little over the top. <laughs> But, you know, it drove home the point of the passion this man feels for for his religious belief. I mean, we can't overlook that fact. I mean, as you said earlier, they, these are analogs for the Amish. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we have to treat this as a religion. And uh, so that passion should definitely be there. You know, fire right. and brimstone and, they, and, and all, I guess. Right. And they actually explain... Um, near the beginning of the episode that the government actually gave them that area of land um, because, you know, they're basically are a religion. So mm-hmm. that was that was actually kind of neat. I didn't expect anything that that, uh, uh, I guess, complicated or mature in Zeta. But um, and actually in speaking more on this leader guy, I think he had a really great line to end the episode. You know, I, I don't remember the exact line, but he tells Zeta, you're you know, you're anything but soulless. Yeah. Or something like that. It was a great line. Yeah, I, I like that at the end, the not Amish leader guy didn't do a complete 180, and he isn't suddenly sitting there watching TV, but he's starting to understand that technology, okay, it isn't perfect, but it isn't the root of all evil either. So it's not like they made him change his religious views, his mind has just been opened, that's all. And I like that because I would have been very pissed at this episode. Mind you, I'm not religious at all, but I don't go out there and try to change people's religious views. And when I see a program like do that and have someone who's all, I used the term earlier, fire and brimstone, do a 180 just, uh, you know, 
at the end of the episode or movie or whatever, that always kind of gets under my skin. I was very, very, very pleased they didn't do it here. We can chalk this guy up to another great one-off character. Um, another thing I liked this episode is they've, they're continuing the trend of Roe having a new outfit in mm. each of the last four episodes. So mm-hmm. I, I, they're tr- really getting the point across that she knows she's a most wanted fugitive and she has to change her outfit. She can't keep wearing the same thing. So props to that. I think my uh, another great line though in this in this one was uh, when Rush tells uh, yeah. Bennett that West has gone off on the hover thing, and Bennett just says, "Shoot him, shoot him down now." Yeah. And Rush, Rush just goes, "Aw, don't tease me like this." Yeah. That was a really great exchange. Yeah. Um, but. You know, I mean, we rag on West all the time, and he is the one that made the levy break in this episode. You know, he was disobeying a direct order. But at the same time, you know, he says that he's following the order literally. You know, Bennett said, don't set foot on their land. And he's like, I'm not. I'm going to fly over it. And I kind of liked West being so literal and you know, trying to actually do the right thing to see if he could find Zeta. Mm -hmm. You know, it showed West using his brain, if you want the truth. Yeah, I mean, he he bungled the situation. We can't deny that. He did screw it up. He's the one that caused, you know, that last act to happen. That's 100% true. But, you know, he was really just doing what he thought was right here, if you want the truth, you know. Yeah, Yeah, it was definitely a, you know, a, a bend but don't break the rules kind of moment, and you don't yeah. expect it from West. Yeah. And uh, there was also a bit of continuity in this episode. Did you notice it? What? There's one point where Roe says, we have to get out of middle America. The weather stinks. Oh, yeah, you're right. I didn't yeah, think about that. which is a reference, of course, to, I forget the name of it, the, the tornado episode from the last WFP. Um, so I thought that was cool. Yeah. Because yeah. we don't see, that. I mean, there's... There is there is a continuity in the Zeta Project in that there's forward progression. You know, the NSA's always chasing them. There's a reason the NSA's chasing them. Sometimes, you know, Rose family stuff comes up. But we don't see it a lot. And I like the fact that they just connected two episodes with one line. That, that was that was good. Uh-huh. Um, now, <laughs> real quick, what did you think about the NSA trying to... Um, okay, their ship gets stuck. And their initial attempt to get it unstuck is by rolling it over with sticks. I mean, at the end, they use the sticks and rope to pull it, and and that works. But their initial attempt just involves sticks. They're trying to roll over this multi-ton machine with branches? Like, really? I'm like, okay, West isn't the only idiot working for the I weather wizard here. <laughs> what was uh, and who was it who just said that the NSA is clueless a couple episodes ago? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, what else about this one? Not really a whole else, you know, a lot else to say about this one, but I think it's a you know it's a pretty solid episode. Um, I have a grade for it, and I think I'm going to stick with that grade, but. Um, it's, it's one I'm, I could see coming, myself coming back to because it was, you know, maybe a little better than I uh, originally graded it. Yeah. I mean, as we were talking here, I definitely bumped it up one notch and, uh, you know, I think in the last episode I said so far, there's only one I would maybe consider rescoring. 
you know, in our Zeta Static Shock retrospective, which is way down the line, that's actually going to happen at the end of this year. Um, this may be another one for Zeta that I may come back to and uh, rescore. Brothers Day hates the progress of robot technology. They believe synthoids are going to threaten the human race someday. They're planning to destroy the government's highest level synthoid lab. The Gnosis? Most people call it the floating fortress. Okay, I'll just hang till you guys decide to tell me what you're talking about. It's the lab where I was created, Ro. Even its location is top secret. It's anchored at sea and moves regularly. That's why they needed me to play Selig. And they threatened to kill me if I refused. So I downloaded the lab's coordinates and handed them over to Sweet. Now they want me to pose as Selig again in case they get stopped approaching the lab. This is no use. Brothers Day has people everywhere. If I run now, they'll catch me. Not if they never know you ran. I'll infiltrate their mission as you and stop it from the inside. You'd do this for me? I have personal reasons, too. The Gnosis is Dr. Selig's lab. This could be my chance to find him. Next up is the Hologram Man. In this one, Zeta and Ro, they find this top-secret NSA facility. What it is, is it's basically a debriefing center where all of the infiltration units go uh, after their missions. The reason they're doing this is because... Um, I don't even know why are they going there. I don't remember. Because they um, just happened to bump into who they think is Dr. Selig. But why were they going there? It was, I know, it was, again, Zeta trying to get some information on something that he couldn't access elsewhere. That's true. Okay. That's, that's really all it was. Okay, but while they're in there, they bump into who appears to be Dr. Selig. And uh, he's actually downloading some information. Selig uh, is able to get out of the building and into a cab and drive away before Zeta and Ro can talk to him because uh, the uh, the security discovers that two quote unquote infiltration units and I'll tell you why I say quote unquote in just a minute um, two extra ones got into this lab so they're having to uh, dodge the, uh, the the building security and by the time they get out uh, Selig is gone now the reason I say quote unquote is because the way Zeta was actually able to get inside the building initially and I thought this was kind of cool was he used his uh, holographic emitter to make Row look like an infiltration unit. Uh, what's going on with Selig is it appears as if he is giving this information that he's downloaded from the computer to Titus. It was Titus, right? Yeah, Titus Sweet. Uh, we saw him before. Uh, what was it? We saw him last episode. What was that one called? A, a Brother's Day episode? Yeah, what was, that, what was that episode called? I think it was called Brother's Day. No, Lost and Found. Oh, Lost yeah. Lost and Found. Right. Um, but yeah, Titus Sweet, he's this, this goon, a bigwig in this Brothers Day organization that Bennett thinks Zeta is wrapped up with. Um, when they think Selig is in trouble, uh, Zeta goes to save him, and uh, of course he does save him. But it turns out Selig is not Selig, he's actually Dr. Edmund, uh, who is in disguise. Edmund is the guy who uh, basically created the uh, hollow emitter or whatever you want to call it that makes Zeta look like uh, whoever he wants to look like. And he's being blackmailed by Brothers Day, specifically Titus Sweet, to get uh, various bits of information that Titus and Brothers Day can then use to bring down uh, pretty much... Were they trying to bring down the NSA or just the Synthoid program? Which one was it? Do you remember? They were trying the Synthoid to, program, right? Right. They were trying to cripple the Synthoid program by just destroying that uh, island. Right. Yeah, that, that, that secret floating base. Yeah. 
So Zeta and Ro are able to infiltrate uh, Brothers Day's uh, submarine by pretending to be Dr. Edmund and by pretending to be Dr. Edmund, but also pretending to be Dr. Selig. So that gets a little confusing. And Ro is actually able to use a wrist-mounted hollow emitter to pretend that she is one of the Brothers Day goons. While they're on this sub, the NSA figures out that something is fishy, that uh, this wasn't Selig, that this was Dr. Edmonds instead. They also figure out that Zeta and Ro are mixed up in this. So they start going after the sub. And uh, as James said a second ago, the sub is heading towards this uh, island slash ship thing that uh, makes all these robots. And they're, they're going to want to blow this thing up. Zeta and Ro are able to escape, uh, but... They escape from the Brothers Day ship, and they end up on the other ship, the, the robot-making ship. And while they're there, they see the real Dr. Selig, and what he's doing now is he's actually creating pretty much, like, the Terminators, in that they're, like, like pretty much real cyborgs with, with flesh and everything. And uh, while Zeta is talking to him in his holographic form, his normal holographic form, that is, um, he tells... Zeta, and it's unclear if he knows it's an infiltration unit or not, he probably suspects though, that the chip inside Zeta's head uh, was supposed to serve as a conscience, but it didn't work. Um, it just it just never turned on, so he ended up becoming an infiltration unit too. Uh, the bombs that Brothers Day planted end up going off, the ship starts sinking, everybody tries to escape in the in the madness that's going on, Zeta tries to tell Selig, I'm Zeta, I'm Zeta, don't leave me, Daddy. But that doesn't happen. Uh, Selig and his uh, assistant, they try to get away, but the ship is ultimately shot down um, by uh, by Brother's Day, if I remember correctly, right? It wasn't like an accidental shot by the NSA. That was Brother's Day that shot it down, yeah? Yeah. Uh, okay. The Swede actually shoots the, the one that oh, was Oh, that's, that's right. He used his, his little uh, handgun to do it, right? The laser? Yeah. Yeah, uh, the ship goes down. It appears as if, as if Selig and his assistant perish, and uh, Zeta and Ro are kind of left at the end of the episode. You know, just not knowing what to do. They're they're distraught because they think Selig is dead. But the episode actually ends by uh, a hand coming out of the water, and it's a it, it's a human hand mostly, but we can see metal underneath, and skin starts forming back over that metal, implying that Selig and or his assistant might have been one of these synthoids too. Ooh. To be continued. <gasps> or not. Because, but not really. <laughs> yeah, the series is kind of over. Um, it should be said of this episode that this was the last one that was produced, but it was not the last one that aired. So this one is really the season-slash-series finale? This episode, I mean, I don't understand. I mean, this was the last produced episode, um, but there's still another episode that airs after it, which makes absolutely no sense. As, but I'm going to get... I'll get more into that when we get to The Wrong Morph, which is the last aired episode of the Zeta Project. Um, this episode, is, I think, is pretty good in and of itself it, as a series ender this it's i think it works very well yeah it does because it's so ambiguous you don't know if selig dies or not i happen to think he died but um and that was just one of the just random synthoids that survived the explosion i but uh, that's just my opinion but other than that you know this is this is very it's kind of like it ends on a down note, kind of like, you know, like Empire Strikes Back. You know, Rowan's and takes a turn for the worse. It leaves you wondering where they're going to go from there. And um, 
But also, I think if you look closely at Bennett, it looks like he might have been swayed a bit by listening to what Selig said to uh, to Rowan Zeta. Yeah, that was interesting. I thought, yeah, that that's finally, 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 they're not making this guy just some cliched moron. And uh, yeah, why I I for the life of me, I cannot fathom why this episode did not air last. You know, I actually, I, I do like this episode. I think it's a really strong episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it has really great action, really good animation. I like the fact that they are uh, moving forward with Bennett. Um, as, as you said, he, you know, he, he develops. He hears something he wasn't meant to hear, and it totally flips his world upside down. Um, and I really wish we could have got another episode or two exploring that just uh yeah just just to see where that was going to go and how that was going to change Bennett's job and his just personal outlook and, and all this and it's it's kind of a shame that we didn't get something that wrapped that up further to that point agent lee never comes back so that was never followed up upon yeah the series the series really it ended way too abruptly i like that uh the same voice actor who voiced Harvey Bullock, voiced Lima, uh, Lima Swede. That was pretty cool. Well, he's got he's got such a great kind of wise guy voice. You know what I mean? Oh, that yeah. Oh, yeah. that you know. I mean, when he was Bullock, I mean, we all know Bullock is a little shady. You know, he's a, he's a good cop, but he's a little shady. See, so they got the right voice for that, and but you can still put him in, put give that voice to a bad guy character, and it works just as well. You know, there is a whole hell of a lot going on in this episode too. You know, I mean, we start out with the top secret facility. We see who we think is Selig. It's not Selig. It's Dr. Edmonds. You know, he's wrapped up in this whole thing with Brother's Day. You know, then we find out what's going on with Brother Brother's Day. The NSA finally gets involved. Then there's this whole thing on the the ship that appears to be an island, you know, and, you know, we bump into the real Selig. There's these new infiltration units being introduced. And then the bad guys win. I really thought that this was going to end up being a two-part episode. I mean, there was about maybe two and a half, three minutes left. And I'm like, this is not going to get wrapped up. The bad guys are going to blow up the base. Or it's going to look like they're blowing up the base. And we're going to go to the next episode and we're going to get the resolution. And then when I got to the next episode, I'm like, this wasn't a two-parter? Wow. You know, and it was kind of gutsy of them, I thought to end the season. They probably didn't see this as a series ender, but the season at least like that. That's why I don't have any, many notes because this one is a really, really good episode and you got to pay attention to all the shit going on or else you're going to have, I'm going to have to end up watching it three or four times. <laughs> yeah. This, this is, this is uh, one of those rare ones that is so good. I could throw it on and just watch it. You know, not taking any notes, you know, not background noise, none of that. Seriously, sit down and watch it for fun. I'm, I'm so pleased that this last batch of Zeta episodes was mostly good. Not, not all of them are great, as we said with that first one, and River Rising I thought was average-ish. Um, it's still pretty solid. It's just a shame it happened at the end and it wasn't happening throughout the entire series. I saw Kevin just before I heard all the noise, and he was wearing the backpack, the one thing that's missing. He's a good kid. I don't want to believe it myself, but... You got it wrong. It wasn't me. That kid needs a hover chair? We saw him walking. You can explain everything down at the station. Explain what? I don't even know what you're talking about. 
row. They're arresting him. They think he's the thief. And it's my fault. And the last episode of the Zeta Project is entitled The Wrong Morph. Uh, in this one, Ro and Zeta go to yet another research institute uh, looking for yet an- another member of the Zeta Project uh, named Dr. Morell. Um, they also mention Selig, which makes absolutely no sense uh, since, you know, Selig was killed in the last episode, <laughs> question mark. But more on that in a minute. Um, but anyway... This place seems to be devoted to helping crippled people regain their ability to walk, see, hear, you know, stuff like that. And Rowan and Zeta end up taking a tour through the place in disguise. And in the background, we see uh, a paraplegic kid named Kevin, I believe. Uh, and he's walking, he's actually walking around thanks to this backpack-like invention uh, that they explain stimulates the spinal cord and brain synapses uh, that, and uh, allowing him to regain his ability to walk with it on. Uh, without it on, he's he's confined to a wheelchair still. And Dr. Morell is the one helping the, uh, the kid work it. And Morell ends up hanging the backpack up in a glass case, promising Kevin, you know, you'll be able to use it permanently soon. I just got to do some more tests and whatnot. Um, and Zeta tells Ro that he's going to have to hide in this place and get the information he needs that night when no one else is around. So that night, they uh, elude a security guard briefly, um, which forces Zeta to morph into Kevin uh, to fool the guard, because the guard eventually comes right back around. So the only person he could think to, uh, to change into is Kevin, and he disguises Roe as the backpack. Um, the guard walks away convinced, you know, it's Kevin, and he's just doing some work after hours or whatever. And uh, they, the, uh, Roe and Zeta end up going into the room with the backpack and all the other technology uh, that they were displaying earlier. Um, and when Zeta tries to get information from the computer, uh, a burglar enters the room and steals the backpack and puts it on. Zeta tries to stop him, but the backpack ends up giving him increased uh, strength and agility and stamina. And the guy manages to get away, and Ro and Zeta barely manage to do the same before the guard comes in and sees the room just torn all sh- straight to hell. Uh, the guard calls the police, and the next day Ro and Zeta are watching the building, and they see Kevin being let out of the place in police custody. Uh, and the guard explained that Kevin was wearing the backpack that night, and he must have been the guy who, you know, tore up the place and everything. And Zeta realizes, look, this is all all my fault. I mean, I morphed into Kevin uh, to keep from me being caught, so I have, you know, I have to clear Kevin's name by any means necessary. So he tries to get the information on the culprit from Groundwire Cafe, but the guy isn't on the federal criminal database, and the only way to get the police files is at the police station itself. So he and Roe uh, go to the police station disguised as a cop and a shoplifter, and they sneak into Kevin's interrogation room and explain what happened, and Zeta ends up getting the information on this guy whose name is Blake, and they sneak out the window before the cop comes back to uh, grill Kevin some more. Um, Roe and Zeta go to Blake's last known residence, which is a storage place for all of his high-tech thefts. Blake ends up ambushing them uh, while wearing the backpack, and he handles Zeta pretty well. He uh, ends up getting out of the building and starts hopping rooftops for several minutes. And he ends up escaping from Rowan Zeta uh, at a shopping mall, I believe. Uh, but and at this point, since he's gotten away, Zeta says, look, the only way for me to clear Kevin now is to reveal who I really am. And Rose knows what this means, but Zeta, Zeta can't just let an innocent kid go to prison. 
So they go, when they go back to the police station, Kevin and his mom uh, are exiting the building, and Kevin says he's in his mom's custody until the trial, uh, which is said is pretty much open and shut for the prosecution. Um, Zeta asks Kevin if he'd ever seen uh, the guy Blake around the Institute before, and indeed he had, doing business with Dr. Morell. So Rose says that maybe they aren't out of options just yet. And Zeta, in the disguise of Kevin again, confronts Morell in a parking garage and gets him to spill uh, about his role in the whole thing. He, in essence, sold the backpack to Blake to get funds for his research, which I'm sure is a bullshit story, but I digress. And he also doesn't care that Kevin is going down for the for his crime. So Zeta reveals himself, and uh, he realizes he's in infiltration unit and Blake jumps in and attacks Zeta while wearing the backpack and Roe ends up trapping Morell in the parking garage while uh, Zeta uh, fights Blake again and uh, ends up he ends up overloading the backpack uh, which causes him to go out of control and finally just get knocked out so Kevin's name is cleared the douchebag scientist of the week goes to jail and the series ends this episode, it's not overly bad. I don't think it's good, but it, I think it's passable. But the fact that it ended the series and had that huge chronological goof therein mm-hmm. brings it down at least another point. Yeah, I really wish they could have changed the line real quick where Zeta said something like, I don't know, like they, they got wind that maybe Selig didn't die. And so they're out looking for him instead of just, we're still looking for him. But that's yep. not what really just happened but yeah though the way they did it it just it just doesn't make any sense it is it is quite odd i mean for me though this episode i thought it was a predictable but decent action episode and you need those from time to time i mean well zeta's that a a lot just action episodes you know but i mean it's okay if it's predictable is what it's if it's decent is what i'm getting at i thought this one was i mean I like seeing Zeta get his ass handed to him by a human. Granted, it was an enhanced human. I liked that. I liked the Kevin character. Uh, he was voiced by Will Wheaton from Star Trek The Next Generation and uh, and uh, Stand By Me, of course. And I think Will Wheaton is a really good voice actor. And uh, I thought he did a really good job bringing uh, just life and emotion to the Kevin character. Um, I liked the predicament that Zeta was in. I mean... He really fucked up. He really, really did. And now this kid's in some deep shit because of him. And I like the fact that he was going to be a hero. He was going to sacrifice himself, give himself up to the NSA if he had to, to to, to right this wrong. Um, you know, I think it all came together to form what I, I would say was was a good, a, a good episode, not even just, like, uh, slightly better than average. Like, good. Um, this is another one that, if it was on TV, I... I'd watch it, or maybe I would throw the the DVD in to watch it. You know, again, not a background noise type one, but a sit down and have fun with one. That, that's that, that's where I'm coming from at this one. I'm not really in the same boat. I have a lot of problems with this episode. Well, go um, go ahead. Let's let's hear some more. I like I I get that the guards saw Kevin in the place after hours, and only Kevin. So you know, naturally, you know, I think you know he he stole it. He had the backpack on, but the thing was. He and Kevin were standing right in front of the room where Kevin does his physical therapy. And when he saw, quote-unquote, Kevin, he, you know, he was wearing the backpack. And the room, at that point, was perfectly straightened up. So why would Kevin steal it and then go back and tear the room straight to shit? I mean, oh, crap. I didn't even think about that. 
And if and if the kids stole the backpack, where was it when they apprehended him? I mean, did the police not bother to investigate and look through his house? Uh, obviously not, because they apparently, and they say this point blank, they didn't even tell him what he was being charged with when they arrested him. Wow, you're so, right. Yeah. yeah, major league problem there. I may have um, to bring this one down a point just for that. Wow, I'm gonna. Um, sorry, I'm changing my notes here as you talk. And again, and this is something we've said in the past. Another douchebag scientist. Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, I seriously, I have to wonder how Zeta turned out so well when so many of his creators turn out to be selfish, sleazy dickheads. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, and of course, the biggest thing of all is the fact that this episode ended the series. I mean, it's just this one was produced after cabin pressure, which makes sense. I think that that fits fine, but. I don't know. Just having this be the not only the last episode of the season, but the series is just absurd to me. Because mm-hmm. I mean, you don't even have Bennett and the NSA showing up, even though they've been the main antagonists the whole time. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. It, it's just very, very strange. And something else I found out: um, this episode only aired in Canada. It was never shown in the U.S. Really? Yeah. Huh. Um, which is, again, kind of strange, but whatever. I wonder what's up with that. If anybody out there knows why this one never got a U.S. Uh, release, write in and let us know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. There's something about it. You know what? Maybe what it was is, as I said earlier, a lot of the episodes we spoke about today I thought were pretty good. You know, so maybe I was still running on that high. I was still, like, on, on adrenaline. You know what I mean? There was that last push through this one. So it seemed better than it really was to me because that it's sort of like when an episode is really really horrible sometimes we're overly harsh with the next episode even if it's a decent episode just because we're still pissed about the one before it maybe that's that was happening here but in reverse with me i don't know (laughs) i mean one of the things i wasn't crazy about with this one though was the rooftop chase um it just wasn't as exciting as some of the action we've seen in recent episodes, especially the the the, the last episode that we that we spoke of, uh, the, the the hologram yeah. man. I thought that had really solid action in terms of the chase and the fights. And here, you know, you know, yeah, I like seeing Zeta get his ass handed to him by a human with you know who's enhanced, of course. That was neat, but the fight wasn't great. I mean, he's throwing free weights at him. You know, you take that and. The way the rooftop chase was kind of put together, it didn't do it for me. Um, so, you know, it, 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 as, as much as I thought this was a decent action episode, I may be contradicting myself because I'm saying some of the chases and fights weren't actually that good. Hmm. Maybe I'm going to bring this one down another point. <laughs> Whoopsie. Go for it. No, I, but I completely agree with you because that the rooftop chase scene went on forever and yeah. ever and ever. And it, and it's not it's something you know we've seen plenty of times before on Batman. It's nothing new, and this time it's just Zeta in his human disguise chasing a guy with a backpack on. That's all it was. There was nothing really deep or anything exciting about it. Uh, should we get onto our scores then? I'm losing my voice right now, so I, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what are you going to give on the wire? I'm going to give that one a five. Okay, that one's going to get a four from me. What about cabin pressure? Captain Pressure is getting an 8, 
But on a better day, I might even give it a nine just because I, I was so thoroughly amused by it the whole time. Uh, that one's going to get a six from me for now, but I may rescore that. Um, the River Rising. Uh, I'll give that one a six. Yeah, I'm going to give that a six, too. Initially, I gave it a five, but as we spoke about it, I realized it was a little better than I initially thought. The Hologram Man. I'll give that one an eight also. That one's going to get a seven from me, but maybe down the line I'll bump that one up. And the Wrong Morph. That one gets a four. Ooh. Yeah, let's see. Initially, I gave this a seven. I bumped it down to a six. I'm going to leave it at a six for now. But this may be one that actually goes down a point when we do our retrospective down the line. What are you doing? Checking a hunch. Something Casey said. Read the text news sometime. He knew he was going to help us. So why would he be so rude? Family trade? Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss the first five episodes of Static Shock. Those being Shock to the System, Aftershock, The Breed, Grounded, and They're Playing My Song. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sim saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. (laughs) 